0: Welcome back to the X-Zone, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send us an email, xzone at com. If you'd like to visit our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. And if you'd like to chat with us online on MSN Messenger, TV at com. Graham Hancock is my guest at this hour. Graham is the author of Sign and the Seal, Fingerprints of the Gods, Keeper of Genesis, Heaven's Mirror, Supernatural, and other best-selling investigations of historical mysteries. Graham's books have been translated into 27 languages and have sold over 5 million copies worldwide. His public lectures and broadcast, including two major TV series for The Learning Channel, Quest for the Lost Civilizations, and flooded kingdoms of the Ice Age have further established his reputation as an unconventional thinker who raises controversial questions about humanity's past. Written with the same page-turning appeal that has made his non-fiction so popular, the fantasy adventure novel Entangled, published in 2010, it's his first work of nonfiction. Joining me now from the United Kingdom is Graham Hancock. And Graham, welcome back to the x Great having you with us.
1: Thank you. It's great to be with you, Rob. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Graham, you've been researching
0: ancient mysteries for, let's see, oh, I believe more than 20 years now. So you should be the man to ask, why does the past really matter?
1: You know, when I first got into this field with the sign and the seal and fingerprints of the gods, in which was published in uh, 1995, I, I, I think I was very naive. I, I, I thought that uh, bringing an alternative perspective uh, on the past of humanity would be regarded as helpful and uh, useful. Um, but I discovered that the that the opposite was true. That there is a very fixed and rigid uh, picture of our past uh, which is presented to us uh, through the mainstream media and through the education system um, and that, that there's a tremendous reluctance uh, to, to turn away from this and what I've realized as time has gone by is that, uh, that this is really part of the, the mind control system uh, in our societies. If you control the past, mm-hmm. you also control the present and the future. If you define the past in the way that you want to define it, then you are going to shape how people think uh, in the present and how things go down uh, in the future. So, so control of the past is power. Um, and I see myself... to. to, to, to to, to such an extent as I, as I have a role uh, in in this field as as a liberating agent that I am offering uh, alternative points of view and alternative interpretations sometimes of the same facts that uh, mainstream academia is putting forwards, uh, and in so doing, I hope to shift the balance slightly. Uh, in the other direction, to liberate the past from the dead hand of uh, academia and political control, and to hand it over to the people who it really belongs to.
0: Graham, stand by. You and I have got to take a two-minute commercial break. Plenty of food for thought there, ExoNation. Graham Hancock is our special guest this hour. His website, www.grahamhancock.com. Once again, if you'd like to send us an email, xone at com on MSN Messenger, xoneradiotv at hotmail.com, and our website, www.xoneradiotv.com. My name is Rob McConnell. Graham Hancock is my guest this hour. We'll both be back on the other side of this two-minute break. Don't go away. Hancock is my guest this hour, Explanation: www.grahamhancock.com. Graham, you talk about a light switch being turned on uh, in the human brain all over the world less than 40,000 years ago. Now, what do you mean by this?
1: Yeah, this was the, the mystery that led me to research and write my last nonfiction book, mm-hmm. which is called Supernatural. Uh, meetings with the ancient teachers of mankind. And what really intrigued me, I I was looking at the whole subject of human origins, and it's roughly a six million year story between the last common ancestor with the chimpanzee and the appearance of anatomically modern humans around about 200,000 years ago. And almost that whole period Our ancestors are just incredibly dull and limited and narrow-minded narrow with no invention, no creativity, no symbolism, no spirituality, nothing. I call it actually six million years of boredom. It even goes on after our ancestors become anatomically modern, this same very narrow, limited, uncreative behavior, and then suddenly... Uh, pretty much all over the world and pretty much at once between sort of 40 and 35,000 years ago, it really is as though a light has been switched on in the human brain. And we see this uh, in- incredible uh, developments taking place, uh, most significantly the beginnings of art and the first evidence of spirituality. We suddenly get uh, incredible paintings on the walls of caves in southern Europe and on rock shelters in Africa and indeed all around the world. And uh, these, uh, accompanying exactly the same time that the paintings are created, there's a tremendous leap forward uh, in human behaviour and in human abilities. Um, and and what is what the cave paintings uh, document and, mm-hmm. and make clear uh, is that our ancestors have acquired symbolic abilities, that they can think symbolically now, that they're not just they're not just uh, totally. Plugged into the material world. They're thinking in material terms. And even stranger, um, on the walls of the painted caves and rock shelters all around the world start appearing depictions of supernatural beings. Uh, for example, creatures that are part animal and part human in form, there's a technical term for these creatures. They're called therianthropes, from the Greek therion, which means wild beast, and anthropos, which means man. And when you study these images, which, by the way, are virtually identical all around the world, even though these cultures were not in contact, Uh, with one another, you realize that you're looking at beings who are captured or or depicted in the process of transformation. They're shape-shifters. They're changing their form from one form to another. And to cut a long story very, very short indeed, it's been established now that the common factor in all of this art is shamanism and altered states of consciousness. We still have shamans in the world today in tribal and hunter-gatherer societies. And shamanism always involves altered states of consciousness, trance states, if you like. And these states of consciousness are often brought about by the consumption of powerful visionary, we call them hallucinogenic plants, and there's just absolutely compelling evidence, and I detail this in my book, uh, Supernatural, accepted by mainstream academia, that those ancient artists must have been in visionary states and then must have been depicting what they saw in their visions on the walls of the painted caves. And what's troubling and really in a way exciting about this, that at the very moment they do that and they mm-hmm. start depicting these supernatural beings, that's the very moment that this great uh, leap forward in, in human behavior uh, takes place. And uh, I've, I've really gone into this in, in great depth. And I think that uh, we have to consider uh, the possibility uh, of some kind of contact with humanity at that point. And I don't mean something quite as simple as ETs or aliens uh, coming here from other planets in this physical universe. I think that we're dealing with, uh, with something much more complicated than that, uh, that we may be dealing with uh, interdimensional uh, visitors who have continued to be in contact with mankind right through to the modern age are still in contact with shamans uh, today in tribal and uh, hunter-gatherer societies and always attain this contact in altered states of consciousness in our normal alert problem-solving state of consciousness these realms and these beings are not accessible to us. So.
0: Do you believe that it's these beings from other dimensions who are the ones who have turned on this light switch?
1: Yeah, and I think that it's happened, uh, I think that it's happened several times, and I think that this is why um, it is dangerous for mm-hmm. our society today uh, to be so uh, negative and punitive uh, about altered states of consciousness. Human consciousness is a, is a majestic and incredible gift to us from the universe. And it's a mistake to confine ourselves to a very narrow band of consciousness when we have much more uh, available to us. You know, in our society today, if we want to insult someone, we call that person a dreamer. Yes. But in ancient times, dreams were seen as a valid and important method of gathering knowledge uh, about the world and about our situation as human beings. Same goes for visions. Uh, they're very much disregarded in modern society, and visionary states are discouraged or even punished under the law. Uh, but by doing this, we may possibly be cutting ourselves off from the next uh, step forward uh, in, our, in our evolution. Um, there's, a, there's a huge uh, mystery uh, surrounding the issue of consciousness. Science just doesn't know what it is. Scientists call it the hard problem. How do these few pounds of jelly uh, inside our skulls uh, trans- transmute experiences and allow us to appreciate the majesty of a sunset, the beauty of a, of a symphony, our, 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 our love for our partner or, 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 or children? Science simply can't explain how the physical object that we call our brains produces these uh, incredible emotions and uh, and and experiences
0: but do we really um, do we really need to understand the scientific mechanism behind it or do we just need to grasp it put our put our arms around it and say well thank you for the experience
1: well, I think we do because there's a widespread misconception that consciousness is, uh, that, that science has proved mm-hmm. that consciousness is generated by our brains, much in the way that a factory makes cars. Uh, but there's a lot of new evidence which is beginning to, to push through to the public now that actually consciousness may be very different. The relationship of the brain to consciousness may be more like the relationship of a TV set to the TV signal. Um, and this would uh, this then raises the possibility that the receiver wavelength of our brains can be altered, uh, and that by altering the receiver wavelength of our receiving equipment, our brains, we may gain access to other levels of reality that are not normally accessible to us. And if we work with the simple default mode of mainstream science, Mm -hmm. and reduce everything to matter, and say that our brains simply generate consciousness, uh, then we naturally come to the conclusion, uh, for example, that when we die, our consciousness dies also. Uh, But in fact, there's an incredible amount of of information that this is not the case, that consciousness can survive death. um, And that the, the instrument that we call our brains may be designed to give us access to more levels of reality than simply this material and physical world in which we live out our daily lives. So that's the reason why I think it's important to get to grips with this because mainstream science has, has imposed a fundamentally anti-spiritual pro-materialist view of the human predicament. It wants to reduce us simply to matter it wants to deny that there is anything else to the human creature except the matter that makes up our bodies. And actually, science has no facts on which it bases that. That's almost an act of religious faith on the part of science itself.
0: So basically, we've got this multi-band
1: receiver,
0: and we're, on, we're only on one channel because nobody's taught us how to change the frequencies.
1: That's exactly my point. We're tuned in to channel normal mm-hmm. uh, most of the time. And that phrase actually comes from Dr. Rick Strassman, who's professor of psychiatry at the University of New Mexico. And back in the 90s, Rick Strassman did some incredible work uh, with dimethyltryptamine, DMT, and uh, human volunteers. Uh, and, and he is the one, his, his research project is, is really extremely important uh, in understanding the nature of consciousness. Uh, and it's his work uh, which suggests that actually we have a kind of receiver or transceiver in our heads uh, rather than simply a generator of consciousness. And once we accept that that is so, then all kinds of incredible possibilities open up. Maybe we don't need the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva, Switzerland, to break into parallel universes. Maybe we've already got the instrument to do that inside our skulls, it's called our brains.
0: But how come we don't have the instruction manual?
1: Well, I think we do have the instruction manual. Uh, this is the thing traditional tribal and hunter gatherer societies have been working with these contacts with what they call spirit beings mm-hmm. and spirit realms for tens of thousands of years, they would never consider undertaking any kind of healing activity without looking at the spiritual basis for the, for the, for the sickness that, that they're dealing with. I think it's modern society with its emphasis on pharmaceuticals, on experts, on weighing and measuring and counting science that has uh, dismissed all of this and effectively, to use your analogy, torn up the manual and thrown it away so that we're having to reinvent ourselves now uh, through rediscovering these incredible processes.
0: Graham, please stand by. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exxon Nation Graham Hancock is our guest this hour. His website is www.grahamhancock.com. That's www.grahamhancock.com. And we'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon with your truly Rob McConnell from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada.
1: Hello, my name is Holly Reeves, an astrologer from Astro for You, and you're listening to Canada's number 1 paranormal radio show, The X Zone, with Rob McConnell.
0: Welcome to The X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. ExoNation, Graham Hancock is my special guest this hour. His website is www.grahamhancock.com. Graham, is that why so many New Age practitioners, uh, holistic healers, naturopaths, tell us that we need to meditate to open up our minds so that we can actually make the connection with the other realms that we have the ability to?
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, the, the Meditation, really, is one of a number of uh, techniques which can lead us uh, out of our very deeply grounded in the material realm state of consciousness and allow us to kind of dim down the lights on that mm-hmm. and bring up the lights on the whole of the rest of reality uh, and, uh, and and gain and gain contact with it and Consciousness is the is the key we're never going to gain uh, connection with the rest of reality as long as we're locked in the alert problem-solving state of consciousness that our society so admires and loves uh, today now i'm not putting that state of consciousness down Mm -hmm. it's important there's a role for it it's part of our human heritage but we shouldn't cut ourselves off uh, from all the other states of consciousness that we are capable of achieving because there may be really important lessons to learn there
0: so, if I was to ask you for your definition of consciousness, what would it be?
1: Well, I think that I, I, I think that the analogy of the of the TV set and the TV signal um, mm-hmm. is uh, is really important. That that really, if we go back to all of the ancient religions of mankind, they see uh, humanity. Uh, they, see, they see the fundamental essence of the human being as being our soul or our spirit. This is fundamental, and our bodies are secondary. The soul or the spirit is immersed in the body in order to undergo learning experiences uh, here on Earth. But the soul and the spirit continues on after the physical body dies. In a sense, we can dispose of that body like an old suit of clothes uh, and perhaps uh, reincarnate or come back in... Uh, in in some other form. So I would say that consciousness is the essence of the soul. It is not an artifact of the physical processes of the brain. The physical processes of the brain simply allow consciousness to manifest in this particular material realm in which we find ourselves.
0: So would I be correct in saying that you believe that death is a physical property and not a spiritual property?
1: Yes. I do of course I can't prove this Mm -hmm. but then nor can uh, scientists when they they tell us that, uh, that, that there is no life after death for example Richard Dawkins the author of the the god delusion and the selfish gene will will absolutely tell you that there is no such thing as life after death that it's complete nonsense to think of things like that but of course he can't know that and he's not making a scientific statement when he says that he's he's actually making a statement of his own uh, belief uh, and my belief is quite different uh, it, it 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 is indeed that we are uh, potentially at least immortal beings Uh, And that we incarnate in physical form in order to learn lessons and to grow and develop in realms where there are uh, consequences. And really, you know, what the very materialistic view of science cannot explain is Mm -hmm. just a huge range of anomalies. Uh, For example, near-death experiences where the patient flatlines on the ECG, but the patient's consciousness uh, remains active. and We have reports of the patient being able to project her consciousness through through the hospital. There's even one well-known case where having left the emergency room, the free-floating consciousness of the deceased patient traveled several floors upstairs in the hospital and actually went out of a window and found off to the side of the window on a ledge uh, a single sneaker shoe with particular colored laces Uh, and that person was then brought back to life in the operating theater and reported later what she had seen while she was dead and a nurse was able to go up and find that that particular shoe Exactly as she had described it, but could not possibly have seen it in everyday life, was indeed sitting on that window ledge uh, outside the hospital window, um, and and I myself have had a have had a near death experience when I was 16 years old. I had a massive electric shock which very nearly killed me, and during that experience, um, I, I I came out of my body and found myself floating around uh, the light bulb looking down at my body on the floor and and I remember to this day that I didn't feel any fear or unhappiness actually all I thought was hmm how interesting and then I was plunged back into my body uh, and and back into into material life again and I just think that these areas of inquiry these these mysteries that that surround us as creatures are really worth investigating and exploring and it's why i've taken the deliberate decision with my latest book to move into fiction to explore these uh, extraordinary ideas uh in a form where our society gives us license as it were to really step out there and consider the most extraordinary and extreme possibilities and that form is uh, is is fiction, and that's why uh, my novel, uh, Entangled, is, is out there now, because uh, for me it is the best way uh, to explore mysterious ideas of this kind.
0: What do you think about aliens and UFOs? Uh, what do you think they are?
1: Well, we have a phenomenon here. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And the phenomenon is, uh, is on the uh, increase. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, I was talking about the painted caves in, in Europe yes. thirty or 40,000 years ago. There are a number of images on the walls of the painted caves, uh, for, for example at uh, Merle in France, uh, which look very much like the kind of vehicle that we would call flying saucers today. Um, And there are even, uh, along with the images of therianthropes, of creatures that are part animal and part human in form, which is, by the way, a form in which UFO abductees today often experience the entities that uh, abduct them. Along with those kind of images, there are also images, again, in Peshmerga Cave, for example, of archetypal greys that we're familiar with in in popular culture today. Um, I... I have no doubt that this phenomenon exists. I have no doubt that people have experienced abductions. I have no doubt that there are unidentified flying objects. But I think that we may be rushing too soon to an oversimple conclusion when we insist that these must be uh, beings from other planets who are otherwise a bit like us but very technologically advanced who've learned to cross interstellar space and are coming to interact with us. Uh, for one reason or another. Um, I I think that the the accounts are not yet closed on this issue, and we should keep an open mind to the possibility that we may be dealing with interdimensional uh, visitors here. Interestingly enough, there was a a shaman uh, in the Amazon uh, who died last year. His name was Pablo Amaringo, uh, who worked with the powerful visionary brew that I myself have also drunk many times, which is called Ayahuasca, uh, the Vine of Souls. And Pablo was a great artist and he depicted his visions that he had seen under the influence of ayahuasca in paintings. And a great many of his paintings include images of flying saucers. And when I asked Pablo about this, what are these flying saucers? Why are you showing these flying saucers in your paintings? He said they're vehicles for traveling in and out of the spirit world. And when a shaman speaks of the spirit world, I think he's doing no different than a quantum physicist does when he speaks of a parallel universe or a parallel dimension. Um, And when we consider also the incredibly elusive nature of this phenomenon, the the fact that it may show up as a blip on a radar Mm -hmm. screen and then just completely disappear, I think we have to stay open to the possibility that it may be even more mysterious than just physical aliens crossing this physical universe.
0: Why do you think people are being abducted by these creatures from another dimension or a parallel universe?
1: Well, again, to understand this, we have to we have to recognize that this has been going on for thousands of years, not uh, simply in modern times. Uh, in in the past, it, uh, it's been construed in different ways. In tribal and hunter gatherer societies, these beings who typically abduct, and still to this day abduct, uh, shamans, Mm -hmm. uh, are thought of as uh, spirits, uh, and they have certain definite characteristics. Uh, In medieval Europe, uh, I believe that they were thought of as fairies and elves, Uh, and again, those same characteristics that shamans apply to spirits uh, apply to fairies and elves also. And in modern times, since fairies and elves went out of fashion, and since we ourselves began to explore space, uh, we have construed these visitors and the mysterious contacts they have with us as uh, aliens or extraterrestrials who've come here from another planet. Actually, I would say that we're looking at exactly the same phenomenon, uh, simply viewed through different cultural spectacles in different periods of history. Uh, and I honestly can't tell you what is going on. All I can say is that something very curious is going on, that these entities from the other side have an interest in us, that that they appear to have something to teach us. It's really quite fascinating. In the research at the University of New Mexico done by Dr. Rick Strassman with Dimethyltryptamine and human volunteers. Uh, very often, when the when the volunteers came back from their from their DMT journey, uh, which by the way lasts only about uh, fifteen minutes. They gave very, uh, very much shared reports about what they'd seen there, and one particular phrase kept recurring from the beings or entities they'd contacted in this altered state of consciousness. And that was this, we're so glad you've discovered this technology, meaning DMT. Now we'll be able to communicate with you more often. So there's an intense interaction taking place here. There's evidence 40,000 years ago that it led to a huge leap forward uh, in the human career. Uh, And more recently, uh, in the 60s, when briefly hallucinogens and and psychedelics were were very widely uh, uh, available and widely Mm -hmm. used, we saw again then an incredible creative leap forward. Um, and uh, I think it's absolutely beyond question that the music of that period, uh, and that the art of that period, uh, and that the computer revolution itself, um, are very likely connected to uh, to experiences in altered states of consciousness. It's not widely known, but uh, but Francis Crick, the, um, the the discoverer of the double helix uh, structure of DNA, uh, admitted to friends before he died that he had first seen, in a shimmering, glittering form, the double helix while he was under the influence of LSD which he used regularly during the 1950s when it was still legal uh, as an aid to his thought processes. So what Crick is admitting there uh, is that uh, it wasn't the alert problem-solving state of consciousness so loved by science that led him to the double helix. It was visionary experiences in deeply altered states of consciousness. It seems we have lessons to learn from the other side. And I think it's very important and needs to be considered seriously that we should not cut ourselves off completely from the fountain from mm-hmm. which these lessons emerge.
0: All right, but what information have we received from the other side that could be used as proof of the existence of the other side and not just a mind-altered state that is hallucinating?
1: Well see we have to do the research we have to do the research generally speaking when a group of people who are not in contact with one another and mm-hmm. are not comparing notes uh, all report seeing the same things we are inclined to accord the status of reality to those things it's multiple. how do we know that anything is real except that other people see it also you know there's a there's a huge problem over what reality is actually but when it
0: comes to um, something like DMT is it possible that the chemical combination that is in the DMT is actually causing the same mind altered effect or hallucination in all those who participate in the test
1: this would be incredibly hard to explain. You'd have to say that hardwired into our brains is a module um, for, uh, for, for teaching experiences, which actually give you constructive information for uh, entities that are part animal and part uh, human in form and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, I can understand why we have intuitive physics but why we have the intuitive ability, all of us, to see creatures that are part animal and part human in form in visionary states uh, completely defeats me, and well, you I, and see, I the, can't explain it.
0: The uh, the animals what? that have been part human and half animal have been, you know, have been told about throughout history, look at the Greek mythology. They're the everywhere. Cinders, yeah?
1: They're in every culture. Uh, but the one place for sure they are even in modern times, is in visionary experiences. Before the war on drugs clamped down on this interesting and important research into consciousness, mm-hmm. quite a lot of work was done with modern volunteers and hallucinogens. And again and again, they, when asked to depict their visions, they depicted encounters with entities that were part animal and part human in form. Um, And Rick Strassman's volunteers, although lying on a hospital bed in the University of New Mexico and therefore not physically abducted, more than half of them reported abduction-type experiences, including probes being inserted into their brains, crystals put into their brains, and so Mm -hmm. on.
0: All right, stand by, Graham. You and I have to take our final break. ExoNation Graham Hancock is my guest this hour, www.grahamhancock.com. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Exile Nation, Graham Hancock is our special guest. Uh, we're talking to Graham about so many things today, but Graham, I'd like to talk to you more about your new book, Entangled. Uh, tell us more.
1: Well, I, I've been writing nonfiction, as we mm-hmm. said at the beginning, for, for, for more than 20 years, but I found myself in a subject area here that really required the approach of, of science fiction and uh, fantasy adventure. And Entangled is uh, a fantasy adventure time slip novel. It tells the story of two brave young women living at opposite ends of history, one of them today in modern Los Angeles, and the other 24,000 years ago in the Stone Age. And they're brought together by supernatural forces, by a being I call a blue angel, uh, to do battle with a demon who travels through time. It's a story of the battle of good against evil, In the Stone Age, this demonic force, whose name is Sulpa, is seeking to mislead humanity to wipe out, in horrible ways, the last of the Neanderthals. If he succeeds in doing that, he's going to gain the psychic charge necessary to jump forward and manifest fully in human form in the 21st century and weave the doom of all mankind. And my two young women uh, heroines of this story are brought together to stop him doing that to to put mankind back on the right track again uh, and The way that they make contact with one another and first establish contact is in deeply altered states of consciousness in the case of Rhea. The young Stone Age woman, it's the use of psilocybin mushrooms taught to her by the Neanderthals, which enables her to leave the prison of the body and project her consciousness into other times and places. And in the case of Leone, in the modern story, it's DMT in a project rather like that project I told you about at the University of New Mexico, and later ayahuasca uh, in the Amazon jungle uh, that enable her. Uh, to make these uh, to make these journeys. So it's an it's an adventure story, it's a time travel story, it's a story about the battle of good against uh, evil. Uh, but woven in through the action and adventure are are what I hope are are are, are deep and thoughtful speculations about the mysterious nature of reality and consciousness. Uh, and the human soul, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just hoping that the readers of my nonfiction, who are used to 800-page books with 1,500 footnotes, <laughs> will come with me on this uh, new adventure, because I feel very strongly that for the future, uh, fiction. Graham, uh, we're quickly uh, running out, We're is,
0: quickly running out of time. Where can our listeners go to get a copy of your new book, Entangled?
1: Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, they can go to my website and click on the Entangled button and find all kinds of links and ways to get the book, and of course, in all good bookstores.
0: Graham, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us tonight. Thank you very much. Continued success, and I look forward to the next time you and I meet here in the Exxon's. Until then, my friend, take care of yourself. Thank you. All right. Good night, Graham. Exonation. Nation, Graham Hancock has been my guest this hour, www.grahamhancock.com. I'll be back on the other side of this news break at six and a half minutes past. Don't go away.